The pancreas is an organ that has two parts. A group of cells that produce digestive enzymes, and that's considered the exocrine part or exocrine gland. And a group of cells that are the endocrine part. They are called pancreatic islets, the endocrine part, because they are located in groups like islands in the sea, and the sea would be the cells which are the exocrine, exocrine part. But the pancreas is located in the abdominal region. It's retroperitoneal. It's in the very posterior to all the organs, close to the vertebral column in front of the abdominal aorta, as we see in the picture. You have big blood vessel here, the abdominal aorta. And the pancreas is in front of this abdominal aorta. And it's right next to a segment of a small intestine known as the duodenum. We'll see more of the, of the pancreas and digestive system. And the pancreatic islets, they, they contain cells that will produce different types of hormones, as we will see. We have another view showing us the islets or islands. This group of cells all scattered in the tissue of the pancreatic uh, cells. And the arrows are showing how the secretion goes to the blood circulation. The rest of the cells, the exocrine part, are shown here. It's this group of yellow cells. And they are called the acinar cells acinar cells because they are forming like grapes or a bunch of grapes connected to a duct and this duct drains into a main pancreatic duct. This pancreatic duct will drain into the inside of the duodenum, the small intestine. This contains digestive enzymes. Enzymes are going to break down carbohydrates, proteins, lipids, and they are part of the digestion. The endocrine portion, these cells are also known as the islets of Langerhans or pancreatic islets, either one. So the acinar cells or acini, that's how we call these formations, round formations. They produce digestive enzymes that drain to the gastrointestinal tract, the duodenum, the specific. And the pancreatic islets or islets of Langerhans, they are scattered among the acini or acinar cells. Well, we want to see the different cells in the pancreatic islets. We need special dyes, special stains. And the most common is this one right here. That's what we have in the lab. And we can see the eyelid, all this. But we actually don't see many different types of cells. 
If we use special dyes, we will see this cells, different types of cells, and they will tell us the different types of cells. If you see the most in number, will be the beta cells, which produce insulin. Then we see alpha cells that secrete a hormone called glucagon. There are two more types, the delta cells that secretes somatostatin and F cells that secretes this hormone called pancreatic polypeptide. The two that have an effect on the metabolism of glucose are the insulin and the glucagon. We're going to talk about them more than the other two. Alpha cells, glucagon, beta cells, insulin, delta cells, somatostatin, and F cells, pancreatic polypeptide. Somatostatin and pancreatic polypeptide, they actually have a role in the digestion, in the process of digestion. They are signals. They are signals that control how the stomach moves, secretes gastric juice, and the whole sequence of um, food um, processing. So these two hormones, glucagon and insulin, the insulin from beta cells, the secretion is controlled by the levels of glucose. Negative feedback, we have seen that example of levels of glucose when we eat something, the glucose goes up and then the insulin is produced until the glucose goes back to normal level. So it's a typical negative feedback. Acetylcholine, parasympathetic vagus fibers can also uh, control the secretion in, uh, of uh, insulin. Amino acids and some hormones like growth hormone ACTH stimulates secretion. Somatostatin inhibits the secretion of insulin. So the main, main control of the levels of glucose, of the secretion of insulin, are the levels of glucose. And besides, we have other factors that may control this. And the action of the insulin, and it's listed here, it lowers the blood glucose levels. How? Putting the glucose inside the cells. Glucose that is broken down from carbohydrates that we eat, it goes to the blood. And the insulin gets that glucose into the inside of the cells, and that way the glucose levels go down. That's the main action of the insulin. Besides, the excess of glucose is turned into glycogen. That process is called glycogenesis. And that goes to the liver as it stores. Decreased glycogenolysis. Glycogenolysis is destruction of glycogen, breakdown of glycogen, to send more glucose to the blood. We don't want that. We need to keep the levels of glucose normal and increases lipogenesis, increases lipogenesis, formation of lipids or fats. So the insulin is responsible of keeping energy. We eat glucose, when the glucose is entering into the cells, if there's more glucose, 
turn into glycogen to the liver to be stored and it's still more excess of glucose it turns into lipids fats and goes to the adipose tissue and the glucagon which is produced by the alpha cells it is controlled by the levels of glucose. Whenever there's a decreased level of glucose, that's when the glucagon is produced. To keep the glucose levels normal. Here the point is to keep the glucose levels normal so we can survive, especially the brain cells. They need glucose, just glucose. They don't use anything else. The muscles can use fats if there's no glucose, but the brain is just glucose. So, if the glucose level goes too low, glucagon is secreted to raise the levels of glucose. If glucose goes too high, insulin is produced so the glucose levels go down and get normal. Exercise induces the production of glucagon. Protein meals stimulate secretion of glucagon. Somatostatin. And the effect is to raise blood glucose. Is to raise blood glucose. Like when we're fasting, we don't eat anything. Glucagon is produced. What the glucagon does is get glucose from the liver, get the glycogen from the liver broken down, and the glucose is available in the blood so the cells can use it. Breakdown of glycogen into glucose in the liver. That is called glycogenolysis. And the other two hormones, somatostatin from delta cells and pancreatic polypeptide from F cells. Main actions, the somatostatin inhibits secretion of insulin and glucagon and slows down the absorption of nutrients in the gastrointestinal tract. So as I was saying, it regulates the digestion process. And the pancreatic polypeptide inhibits somatostatin secretion. Gallbladder contraction and control the secretion of pancreatic enzymes. So these two, somatostatin and pancreatic polypeptide, they help in the process of digestion. This is an example of how the glucose and insulin, I mean, gluco, glucagon and insulin work. If we have here high glucose, high blood glucose, or hyperglycemia, that will be the stimulus. So the beta cells will secrete insulin. And the insulin will have all the effects that we mentioned accelerate diffusion of glucose into the cell, turns glucose into glycogen, and so on. So at the end, the effect will be blood glucose level falls. You can go back to normal. And this effect, the glucose level going down, will be the negative feedback, so the insulin will not be produced anymore. Now, if we go to the other side, and we have a low glucose level, hypoglycemia, like when we're fasting or not eating, glucagon is produced. And the glucagon will 
raise the blood glucose levels to normal. It's always this balance, all the time. Glucagon and insulin, glucagon and insulin. And this is the moment where we uh, can say some words about diabetes. Diabetes is a problem um, that has to do with insulin secretion. There are two types of diabetes, but there are more than two types, but the types related to the pancreas are two. Diabetes type 1 and diabetes type 2. Diabetes type 1 is a problem where the pancreas is not producing insulin in normal amounts. There's less insulin. So the glucose that we eat, the glucose that comes from our diet, is affected because if there's not enough insulin, less glucose will be stored, less glucose will be used by the organs. Therefore, there will be an excess of glucose remaining in the blood. And that is called hyperglycemia. Normal levels of glucose in the blood go from 70, 80 to 110, 120 milligrams percent. If we have more than 120, like 140 or more, then we can say that that person may have diabetes. Yes. So people Yes, because there are more causes for hyperglycemia. Hyperglycemia is just a manifestation of this. In diabetes type 2, what happens in diabetes type 2? The main thing in diabetes type 2 is that the demands are higher. We eat carbohydrates and glucose come from the carbohydrates into the blood. Now, the pancreas secretes insulin. Pancreas secretes insulin. But that insulin may not be the enough amount to control the levels of glucose. How come? There is an unresponsiveness to insulin. The cells don't respond to insulin very well. How? The cells have receptors for glucose and insulin. If the cells have less number of receptors, or there are too many cells in our body, that increases the demand for insulin. Like if someone who uh, gains weight, an excessive amount, that would be more tissue. That means that more insulin is required to get glucose into those cells. That is and increase demand. It's overwhelming the pancreas. The pancreas has to produce more insulin to compensate that. And sometimes the insulin that is produced by the pancreas is not enough. Therefore, the glucose levels start going up. Now, what happens with the time? With the time, if that pancreas is overwhelmed by the demand, it will start suffering. And at some point, the cells of the pancreas, the beta cells, will start getting destroyed. And after a time, the diabetes type 2 may turn into diabetes type 1. In terms of uh, treatment, what, what it means? Usually, 
someone with overweight or obesity at some point may develop diabetes. And we see by the high levels of glucose. Well, they go into treatment and they need three minutes diet mainly and some medications, medications to stimulate the production of insulin. Well, if diet is successful, the person will lose weight. And after six months, let's say, they lose weight. And in many cases, the glucose levels goes to normal levels. And they don't need the medication anymore. The diabetes is cured, we say. In many cases, diabetes type 2 may be cured in that way. But if the person doesn't lose weight and thinks that taking the pills will be enough, the glucose levels will be high all the time. And after two years, five years, in the same situation, at some point, we cannot control the levels of glucose, and they need treatment with insulin. That's a sequence of treatment sometimes. Well, people with diabetes type 1, like this one, the, the pancreas is producing less insulin, sometimes no insulin at all, and they need to receive insulin from the very beginning. This type 1 is typical of um, children. It's also called the juvenile type because it's diagnosed in kids, 10 years old, 11 years old, and uh, they have to receive treatment with insulin. There's no other choice. But if it's diabetes type two, the treatment usually starts with diet, medications, and hopefully it will be controlled. If it's not controlled, well, insulin may be required along the way. And everything is about the islets, pancreatic islets that, uh, are not producing enough amount of insulin. Yes? Is diabetes type 1 mostly genetic? Yeah. The diabetes type 1, or both, are, uh, may have a genetic component. But the diabetes type 1 is the one that usually we see in generations. Like, you see the father with diabetes type 1, there is a high chance that the kids will have the same, at least one of the kids will have a diabetes type 1. In diabetes type 2, there is a predisposition, like, we have your, it all of a sudden you, you're diagnosed with diabetes type 2, let's say, and you find out in your family, probably one of your aunts, uncles, grandmother had diabetes type 2 at the same time. So it's predisposed, which means that if you keep your weight normal, never have overweight, you're not challenging your pancreas and everything will be fine. But if you have the genetic predisposition plus weight gain or obesity, then you may develop diabetes type 2. Now, there's some people that have overweight and obesity and they don't have diabetes. That's another thing. It's not one-to-one -one relationship. All right, questions, comments, about the pancreas. Yes? Um, for the diabetes type 1, did you say that's hyper or hypoglycemia? Hyper. Oh, the muscle Yeah, that is a genetic predisposition, the tendency to have less number of receptors in the cells for insulin. So that means that if you increase the number of cells in your body, the number of receptors will not increase at the same time. And that's why the, the insulin cannot work properly Glucose cannot be brought into the cells, and we have hyperglycemia. 
Okay, next hormones are the gonadotropins, I mean the, the gonads that produce the sex hormones, ovaries and testes. Ovaries produce estrogens and testicles produce testosterone. Estrogens plus progesterone are two sex hormones, but the main estrogen, which contains these two, or are, uh, estrogens are of two types, estradiol and estrogen. So we usually say just estrogens, but there are two types, estradiol and estrogen. We'll talk more about the effects of these hormones when we do reproductive system. We'll see the axis, how it works, pituitary gland, ovaries and estrogens, progesterone and testosterone, especially in the ovaries, it's a little bit complex. There's a specific pattern of secretion that changes along the days of the month. Well, here's a summary of the main hormones produced in the gonads, estrogen and progesterone in the ovary. They regulate the female reproductive cycle. If there is pregnancy, that is maintained mainly by the progesterone. Memory glands are prepared for lactation. And the estrogens promote and maintain the female secondary sex characteristics. Relaxin is a hormone produced by the ovary also. Relaxin is a hormone that is produced during the pregnancy especially. And it increases the flexibility of the pubic symphysis. Remember what the pubic symphysis is? In between the two pubic bones, anterior, because fibrocartilage. Well, during labor, during delivery, this symphysis pubis, which is fibrocartilage, gets very soft. And it makes sense because the pelvis has to stretch most so the head of the baby can go through the birth canal. That is the responsible for that is a hormone called relaxin. And inhibin helps to inhibit secretion of FSH. It works for the negative feedback. Again, we'll see this hormone with more detail when we get to the reproductive system. And testosterone that regulates the sperm production and promotes the development of male secondary characteristics. There's also inhibin here in the testicles because the gonadotropins are the same for ovaries and testes. They're both FSH and LH. They work in ovaries and also in the testes. Some words about the pineal gland and some other minor glands and cells. Some words, there's no words in this slide. Okay, let's say some words about the pineal gland. Pineal gland is a part of the diencephalon. We studied of the hypothalamus, thalamus, and epithalamus. Pineal gland is a small group of neurons located posteriorly in the epithalamus. And the pineal gland is being related with the cycles of day and night. The hormone called melatonin has been related to this uh, to this pineal, pineal gland and it seems to be the effect of the light impressing the retina because there are connections from the retina to the epithalamus 
So that means that when we are in the daylight or nighttime, depending on the amount of light, that will impress the retina and the connections with the pineal gland will make this pineal gland produce melatonin when it's nighttime. And the signal is go to sleep. It's nighttime. But if I put you in a room with light for a hundred hours, you probably won't sleep because there is no signal. You get very tired, of course, but the sleep, natural sleep, you won't have. You will probably get like tired and lose consciousness, but sleep, no. <laughs> melatonin is used commercially. You can find melatonin like uh, to, and it produces this sensation of relaxation. It is used to induce sleep. Thymus. The thymus is located in the anterior mediastinum behind the sternum. And the hormones produced here are called thymosin. THF, that stands for thymic humoral factor, TF thymic factor, and thymopoietin. What are these for? Well, this has to do with the immune system. We're going to talk about this in the immune system, lymphatic system, because the T cells, which are a type of lymphocytes, are cells of the immune system. And they have a specific job, they have a specific function, like to fight against virus. T cells fight against viruses. T cells fight against malignant cells. But they have to be prepared for that. They are trained to work like that. And the training happens here in the thymus. So all these hormones, thymosin, thymic humoral factor, thymin factor, thymopoietin, they all work to promote maturation of the T cells. These lymphocytes are produced in the bone marrow but then some of them are sent to the thymus, and in the thymus they are trained to be T cells. The ones that pass the exam, they turn into T cells. The ones that, the ones that don't pass the exam, they are destroyed. Simple as that. So this works, the thymus is a gland that works mostly during childhood. In adults, we barely have some cells of the thymus because all the T cells are have been trained completely. And we have like stem cells that will give place to more T cells for a lifetime. So the main the main precursor, the mother cells have been trained already. That's the thymus. And then we have a several, several cells um, located in different organs which produce hormones. Under the definition, the hormone is a messenger, it's a signal, molecule. They are not grouped in organs, but they are cells that produce hormones. They are in many places, from the digestive system, urinary system, and uh, we have a long list here of some other endocrine tissues, organs, that produces um, Ecosinoids, growth factors. So let's mention some of them. For instance, in the gastrointestinal tract, we have the gastrin, which is produced by cells of the stomach. 
And it has to do, and it has an important function, it's secretion of gastric juice. We have secretin. Secretin that stimulates secretion of the pancreatic juice and bile. What is the secretin? In the cells, it's in between the epithelial cells of the small intestine. So in these simple columnar cells, well, in between the cells, among the cells, there are some of these cells producing secretin as well as cholecystokinin, or CCK. Placenta. An important hormone is produced in the placenta that is called HCG. It stands for human chorionic gonadotropin. This hormone is produced in the placenta as early as the first cells, the first cells after the zygote is formed, after the sperm and egg get together and start producing, reproducing, and a group of cells differentiate into the cells that will turn into the placenta, they will start producing this hormone. And this is a hormone that, since it's produced in large amounts, it can be found in the urine of the mother, and we diagnose pregnancy by detecting levels of HCG. And also in the blood, we can detect pregnancy as early as two or three days after fertilization, not necessarily implantation yet, because HCG in very small amounts is already in the blood. And placenta also produces estrogen and progesterone during the pregnancy, they help to maintain um, the development. And the kidneys, we mentioned renin, there's a group of cells in the kidney producing this hormone, it's not an organ. EPO, when we did blood, we mentioned EPO from the kidney also. EPO is considered a hormone, and it's produced by these cells. So in that way, you see there are many, many other cells and tissues that um, are considered endocrine cells. They produce hormones, but not necessarily organized like in an organ. There are other signals or molecules like Eicosanoids, they are hormones that work locally. They derive from a molecule called arachidonic acid, which is a fatty acid. And it's actually part of the cell membrane. And from there, chemicals like prostaglandins, thromboxane, are produced. And what are the effects of them? Well, the effects of them are many. Some of them are mediators in the inflammatory process, some others in the blood coagulation, uh, even muscular contraction, smooth muscle contraction, many, many functions of these uh, type of signal molecules. And some other hormones that stimulate cell growth, and they are known as growth factors, growth factors. Wow. But again, as we said, they are locally acting. They work locally. They stimulate cells next to them, neighbor cells, and um, in this way. Some words about stress. Eustress, distress. Eustress is the stress that we challenge and that we face every day. That's things that challenge us in different ways. That's helpful, that's good. That help us to meet challenges. 
But stress that is felt as a threat, something that affects your daily life, is called distress. Because that may be damaging. And this has many implications, not only in the physiology, but also in the psychology, in the psychologic uh, sphere. But regarding to physiology, we have this response called fight or flight response, which is the first stage of stress response. That's the one that makes us work, activity, and that happens many times during the day. But if we face a chronic stress, then we will start another different, a different reaction called resistance reaction, and it's a second stage in the stress response. And that lasts longer than the fight or flight. These are special adaptations or adjustments that the body goes through in order to balance the homeostasis. But sometimes it is damaging, it produces uh, signs or symptoms, changes in the physiology that may end up in problems. Here in this graph we have the stress response. Stressors, up here, the nervous system, we feel that stress, we perceive that stress. And since that's a nervous system, hypothalamus, that connects to the pituitary gland. And here we have all these releasing hormones. All these releasing hormones being produced by the hypothalamus, which means stimulation of TSH production, growth hormone, ACTH production. And they are going to their target organs, TSH to the thyroid gland. So there will be increased amount of thyroid hormones producing symptoms, tachycardia, and increased use of glucose. This is a, a stress response. The growth hormone will go to the liver and induce glycogenolysis, lipolysis, more energy to be consumed. And it goes to the ACTH, it goes to the adrenal cortex, there's a cortisol production. Lipolysis, gluconeogenesis, protein catabolism, reduce inflammation as a response to stress. And nervous system in green lines, the nerve impulse go to the sympathetic centers. Sympathetic nerves will change their effect in different organs, but at the same time stimulate the adrenal medulla, which will produce epinephrine and norepinephrine. And we have all the stress, all the responses here, increased heart rate, constriction of blood vessels, dilation of blood vessels, contraction of spleen, and many other things. Now, the problem is when the stress is chronic, and these responses turn into a problem, like stimulation of the ACTH, increased protein catabolism, reduced inflammation, reduced immune response. There are studies that show that people under stress or chronic stress, they have more frequency of respiratory infections. Or when you are in a period of stress, like a stressor that can be defined as a very challenging semester. Uh, that's a day, everyday challenge, everyday challenge. You don't have time to study and you have work, you have to do many other things. 
and besides you have a problem at home. It's a chronic stressor. And then you notice that in six months you have more frequency of respiratory infections. That may be a response to chronic stress. And in that way, the stress is a response to balance the physiology, but sometimes it gives uh, these type of problems. And sometimes the ACTH stimulates the, 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 the adrenal cortex, the aldosterone production. And that will, may induce vasoconstriction, increased blood pressure. Some cases of high blood pressure are related to chronic stress. Any questions, comments? What comes after? This is an additional information. This is not going to be in, in any exam or quiz. It's just to show you um, how the endocrine system develops. The endocrine system, especially in the pituitary gland, all this blue part is a neural tube. And the neural tube will give place to the posterior pituitary gland, for instance. But where the anterior pituitary gland comes, comes from? It comes from the pharynx, this pouch, this little pouch here. And that's why the pituitary gland has two components, one that is darker and one that is nervous tissue. Well, that darker part comes from the cells of the pharynx during the development. They separate and they attach to the uh, nervous tissue and then get a specialized in production of, of hormones. And, but it remains very close to the pharynx to the point that when there are surgeries to remove tumors of the pituitary gland, the best access is not through the cranium. We don't open the cranium for that. We go through the nasal cavity. The nasal cavity is sphenoid bone. If you remember the sphenoid bone, the sinus, the sphenoid sinus. Right behind, we have the cella torsica where the um, anterior pituitary gland is. So, just wanted to bring these two slides for that. Okay, questions, comments? Lab 530.